0: This is a Timmet Podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is Year of the Fox. Last year was the year of the fox on Walnut Crescent. There are foxes everywhere. Foxes earnestly walking the sidewalks with specific destinations in mind. Foxes visiting backyards undeterred by fences. Foxes playing together in the new snow and foxes sleeping on the roof of the McPherson's tool shed. I'm not sure what function the foxes served other than to ensure the redistribution of small objects. Shoes were their specialty. A fox carrying a shoe was a common sight but they weren't beneath borrowing mitts, scarves, grocery items and bags that might contain any of these items. Some of these things disappeared forever, but many of them reappeared in the forest where dog walkers picked them up. Joseph Glatt put up a fox lost and found on his front lawn. This was an old patio table with a rubber made tub on top. Anyone finding a foxy item would put it in the tub and anyone losing something could check to see if it had turned up. My wife Mara and our daughter Alex liked to check the lost and found every time they went by just to see what was there, even if we hadn't lost anything. I was heading down to the mailbox on Pine Street one day when a small delivery truck passed me. It stopped and backed up. The driver rolled down his window and asked, Am I hallucinating, or is that a fox sleeping on a car? I looked over in the direction he indicated. Kelda's car was parked in her driveway, and there was definitely a fox sleeping on it. I reassured the truck driver that he was not hallucinating. But but, but does that happen often, asked the man, like around here? I don't know if it happens often, I replied, but it's not something surprising that would raise any special interest or concern, uh, like around here. The man thanked me, rolled up his window, and drove off. Before I could take two more steps toward the mailbox, a second fox appeared on the Glatz lawn, zigzagged around the fox lost and found without the slightest chagrin, and walked across the street to Caldas' house, ignoring me completely. The fox on the car stood up, yawned, stretched, and slid off the vehicle to join his friend. Together, The two foxes went to the edge of Kelda's front step and sat down side by side. Almost on cue, Kelda appeared on her front step with a plastic freezer box. She took something out of the box, a a meatball maybe, and offered it to one of the foxes, who took it politely in his mouth. She repeated the action for the second fox. Whoa, feeding wild animals. That was not a good idea. But maybe Kelda didn't know. She was fairly new to Walnut crescent, having moved here from outside to be close to her granddaughter. I walked across the street and up Kelda's driveway. She looked up at me guiltily. I guess she hadn't realized I was watching her. The foxes glanced at me briefly, too, but their attention quickly snapped back to Kelda and the freezer box. You shouldn't feed the foxes, you know, I said. Oh, but they're so cute, and you know how I love animals. I certainly did know how Kelda loved animals. Second only to her granddaughter on the scale of affection was Mitten the kitten. Mitten had been really small when she was young, and even though she was now two or three, hadn't grown very much. Alex had been over to visit Mitten several times, and reported that Mitten had every type of cat toy imaginable, uh, and a custom-made cat climbing tower that had been shipped up from Vancouver at a cost of $1,500. Well, it's against the law, for one thing, I said, and it's bad for the foxes in the long run. The two foxes looked up with worried expressions on their faces. I was interfering with their supper. But the poor things are starving, explained Kelda, They've eaten all the squirrels on Walnut Crescent and there's nothing more for them to eat. Exactly, I said. And if you go on vacation and stop feeding them, they'll starve. Look, they've lost their fear of people, so they'll hang around the houses, get run over by cars and be torn apart by dogs. And they might get into things like antifreeze or pesticides in people's garages and that'll kill them too. If there's no food around here, they can just move over to the forest. There are still lots of squirrels for them there. Uh, That's where they should be. That's how things are supposed to work out. There's no food here. They go where there is food. But I'm not the only one, protested Kelda. Other people feed them too. Oh, come on, I said. Just because other people do illegal and... uh, illegal and unwise things, there's no reason for you and me to do them too. I almost said illegal and stupid things, but I was carried away by a brief surge of uncharacteristic diplomacy, which was obviously wasted. Kelda stared at me, speechless, then turned, went back into her house and slammed the door leaving the foxes and me on the step. The foxes looked up at me accusingly, saying, Now look what you've done. I decided it was time to give the foxes back a bit of their fear of people, so I jumped at them and shouted. They backed up a bit, but didn't run off. They were still hoping for more meatballs. I guess they weren't too discouraged, because the same situation occurred again about a week later. I was on my way back from the mailbox this time. As I drew level with Kelda's house on the far side of the street, her door opened and she appeared on the steps this time carrying a plastic bag. The two foxes materialized on the doorstep and took up polite sitting positions side by side. Kelda saw me and froze. What are you looking at? she called. At that moment, Mitten the kitten appeared in the open door and ventured out to rub against Kelda's ankles. The foxes, perhaps worried that I was going to disrupt their feeding routine again, decided to improvise. It was over in seconds. The foxes stepped forward and grabbed Mitten. There was a brief scuffle and Kelda screamed. Then one fox dragged Mitten's inert body off the steps and into the bushes beside Kelda's house, while the second fox covered their retreat. I rushed forward, but by the time I got there, the foxes and Mitten had disappeared. Kelda was left standing alone, a smear of blood across her front step. When some people quit smoking, they become ardent anti smokers. In much the same way, Kelda became a zealous anti fox feeding fanatic are actually an anti-any-wild-animal-feeding fanatic. She wrote tearful letters to both newspapers describing her inadvertent part in the murder of Mitten the Kitten. She wrote a well-researched article for What's Up Yukon on the inadvisability of feeding wild animals. She started tracking down others in the neighborhood who she suspected of feeding the Porta Creek wildlife and turned them into Yukon environment. Well, at least I think it was her an embarrassed conservation officer came to our door and said that he had had a report that we were feeding bears in our backyard. Yes, it was kind of like some totalitarian regime where people inform on their neighbors. And then, as if to illustrate Calda's concern about wild animals in the neighborhood, Walnut Crescent suffered a weekly invasion of bears. Okay, we didn't actually see any bears, but some people had been putting out their garbage and compost on Tuesday nights before Wednesday pickup, obviously completely bereft of any common good sense on the subject of attracting bears. Those people found their bins tipped over on Wednesday mornings. It was a mystery why the bears didn't seem to eat much, though. The bin contents just spilled all over the street. But that mystery lasted only until I got up about 1 a.m. on a Wednesday morning to welcome a late arriving B&B guest. I just happened to glance out the window, and there was Kelda toppling the bins. I was worried that she had become unhinged, and I wondered what I should do. Salvation arrived from an unexpected source. Kelda's grandmother, the one who died 40 years ago. And in an unexpected form, the grandmother's favorite piece of clothing, something that Kelda had admired as a little girl and had just inherited from her mother in Vancouver, who was thinning out. Kelda came over to show us, wearing it. At first, her daughter Alex thought that the beautiful fox stole was a real live fox. The little fox head hung down one side of Kelda's neck and the tail hung down the other side. There were some little feet in there somewhere and an alligator clip in the mouth so Kelda could keep it from slipping off. Then Alex realized. It's really cute, she said, but the fox is dead. Yes, he is cute, isn't he? exclaimed Kelda. You know how I like animals. And he is dead. Isn't that wonderful? So after that, the garbage bin stayed upright. The foxes continued to play in the new snow and sleep on the McPherson's tool shed. And Kelda walked around the neighborhood and along the forest paths, proudly wearing her fox stole in any weather. She was fitting in perfectly to Walnut Crescent as just one more slightly eccentric Yukoner. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmit.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.